Well, good morning, Salthouse. You know, there's kind of a joke about seminarians. Um, there's sort of this trope that seminarians spend all their time at school in deconstruction, uh, that they learn all this background on the Bible, they learn all this scholarship and archaeology and iconography and all the other ologies. They ask questions about authorship and context, and they learn history and language, and then they go to preach. And they realize that for the congregation, all of that is boring. <laughs> and that's what they say about seminarians. And as a seminarian, who is not an ordained pastor, I don't want to point any fingers. <laughs> but this sermon series, I mean, Pastor Sarah at 34 minutes, <laughs> Pastor Ryan at 32 minutes, PowerPoint slides. <laughs> like, if I keep this under 30 minutes and don't try to teach you Greek... I'm going to feel really good about myself. <laughs> and in fairness, Ephesians is a dense book. I mean, Jason heard a story this week that there's a church that spent three years doing a sermon series on Ephesians. I mean, like, Erwin, I wonder what their giving is like. Um, <laughs> and there is a lot of good stuff in this book. I mean, it has a definite narrative arc to it. I mean, if you remember in chapter one, Pastor Sarah talked us through Paul's theology about how God was working from the beginning to reconcile heaven and earth to become one. And ultimately, God's work to unite heaven and earth involved Jesus. And then in chapter two, Pastor Ryan talked about how this worked and that the atonement theology that Paul has is that Jesus' death on the cross kills the hatred between groups that were divided, that Gentiles were brought into the covenant relationship between Jews and this Abba God. <laughs> and this is the apocalyptic vision that Paul has, a new reality, where there is no division, where heaven and earth become one, where divided groups of people become one, because for Paul, this is what Jesus is all about. Things are not divided, things are one. And so now we're gonna hear chapter three. And in chapter three, Paul addresses three things about this apocalyptic vision that he has had. He addresses why he believes it's true, he addresses what it says about glory, and he addresses what it says about the nature of God. So why he believes it's true, what it says about glory, and what it says about the nature of God. So you ready? Yep. All right, Erica is going to read it for us, and we'll pass out some letters. For I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, am sure that y'all have heard of God's grace, of which I was made steward on y'all's behalf. This mystery, as I have briefly described it, was given to me by revelation. When y'all read this, y'all can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was unknown to the people of former ages, but is now revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets. That mystery is that the Gentiles are heirs, as are we, members of the body, as are we, and partakers of the promise of Jesus the Messiah through the good news, as are we. I became a minister of the good news by the gift of divine grace given me through the working of God's power. To me, the least of all believers, was given the grace to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to enlighten all people on the mysterious design which for ages was hidden in God, the creator of all. Now therefore, through the church, God's manifold wisdom is made known to the rulers and powers of heaven in accord with the age-old design carried out in Christ Jesus our Savior, 
in whom we have boldness and confident access to God through our faith in Christ. So I beg y'all, never be discouraged because of my sufferings for y'all. There are y'all's glory. That's why I kneel before Abba God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. And I pray that God, out of the riches of divine glory, will strengthen y'all inwardly with power through the working of the Spirit. May Christ dwell in y'all's hearts through faith, so that y'all, being rooted and grounded in love, will be able to grasp fully the breadth, length, height, and depth of Christ's love. And with all God's holy ones, experience this love that surpasses all understanding, so that y'all may be filled with the fullness of God. To God, whose power now at work in us can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, world without end. Amen. I like it when we do the clap for scripture thing. I think we should clap for it. We're going to make it a thing. So why Paul believes it's true, what it says about glory, and what it says about God. If you missed it, I'll highlight the answers for you quickly. So why does Paul believe in this apocalyptic vision of oneness? because he lived it. He believes it is true because it was his experience in ministry. He was persecuting Gentiles, he encountered the resurrected Jesus, it changed his ministry, and this transformation changed Paul's whole life. And what does it say about glory? Paul is writing this letter in prison. And he says that is his glory, because for Paul, being at odds with the powers of society is glory. And what does it say about God? that God's love is wide and deep and long and high, that it is beyond comprehension, and that this love can do more than we can ask or imagine. See, I told you it was gonna be short. <laughs> but in reality, this is actually very complicated. And I think the best way I can explain it is with a story. When I started at Salt House, like 18 months ago, Pastor Ryan and I went and sat on the bench back here on the playground. And Pastor Ryan asked me, Zach, do you believe that the Spirit of God is lovingly guiding your life? Do you believe that the Spirit of God is lovingly guiding your life? And I said no. Which is probably not a great answer to give as an intern when you just started in parish ministry. <laughs> but I had a lot of reasons for saying no. My aunt that I adored died when I was young. My grandmother died of cancer the same year as 9-11. My dad died when I was 25, and I never got to say goodbye. And all of that sucked. And beyond my own life, like, look at the world. Like, there's a war in Ukraine that is escalating out of control. There's still a global pandemic taking lives. Systematic racism still threatens the lives of our BIPOC and AAPI siblings. Homophobia continues to divide families. Conversations about disability get so buried in other justice issues. Cancer touches so many lives in so many unfair ways. Mental health in this country is a crisis. Political division is fresh and volatile. I mean, there is a lot of shit. So I was like, I'm sorry, Pastor Ryan. I think God is good. I'm a fan. I believe. But lovingly guiding my life, I just don't see it. How can God be lovingly guiding anything? And then I did my chaplaincy rotation at Harborview. And I had an experience at Harborview that showed me I was wrong. As most of you know, Harborview is the level one trauma center for the Pacific Northwest. And anyone who wakes up in Harborview is waking up in the worst day of their life. 
One Friday afternoon, I was on call and I responded to a code blue. Um, the patient's heart had stopped and I went to the room and I stood in the corner and I prayed. For almost two hours, I prayed uh, while the medical team did CPR. And eventually the doctors determined that this patient could not sustain a pulse without intervention and the patient died. And I held a moment of silence with the care team and I thanked the doctors and the nurses um, who had done CPR for like 120 minutes for their care. And then I did something I had never done before. I went behind the curtain to talk to the patient's roommate. Most of the rooms at Harborview have two to four beds in them, and this one had two. And as you can imagine, listening to a team do CPR on your roommate is equally traumatic when you have your own life-threatening trauma. So I went to check on this other man, and that's when I met Harvey. And I said to Harvey, my name is Zach, and I'm with spiritual care here at the hospital. Um, you just listened to a pretty awful thing. I wanted to check on you to see how you're doing. And Harvey brushed me off. <laughs> he was like, I'm fine. And he told me how comfortable he was with death. He regaled me with a litany of relatives he had lost in his life. So I pointed out to Harvey, well, you had a pretty close brush with death yourself. I mean, that's why he was here at Harborview. And he brushed that off too, saying, no, the doctor said I'm going to be fine. It's all okay. So I asked him about his support system. And he told me about his husband. And he told me um, that his real takeaway from listening to this tragic death in the next room was that he wanted to give his husband an extra long hug the next time he saw him. And I smiled. And I agreed. And I said in a vulnerable moment of self-disclosure, yeah, I uh, find that since I started working here, I hug my boyfriend a little tighter and a little longer when I get home too. Well, I had no idea how this was gonna change the conversation for both Harvey and I. Because the next week I was back at Harborview um, and I was actually making up a shift on a Wednesday. Um, Wednesdays were my day off and I'd pinched a nerve in my neck a couple months back and it'd been a whole thing and here I was making up this shift. And I, um, the office got a call about a patient requesting to see me. And as an intern who was only there three days a week, there weren't many patients that I saw twice. Um, normally, if a patient needed frequent or recurring visits, they got assigned to a chaplain who was there more full-time and could help them. But in this case, Harvey um, had asked his nurse to find me. So I went back to visit him, and when I saw him, um, he said, Oh, good. I've needed to talk to you. You really got into my head. And I asked him what he meant, and he said, Well, you said you have a boyfriend, and I can see you wear a cross, and I've always hated gay Christians. I feel like gay Christians sold out and became part of the problem. And I just have to ask you, how do you make sense of it? Like, how did you reconcile it all? And Harvey and I went on to have a lovely and long conversation. I learned about his first husband that he lost at the height of the AIDS pandemic. I learned about the hurt his family and the church have caused him. I learned about the connection that he finds with God in nature and with music. And I learned something about God. Paul um, had lived his life believing that heaven and earth, the sacred and the worldly, were two different things. And he saw in Jesus that he was wrong. He'd lived his life believing that Jews were chosen and Gentiles were outsiders. And he saw in the crucifixion that he was wrong. He saw that God had been in the midst of these separate things all along and had been working to bring them together as one. And Harvey had a bit of this apocalypse at Harborview. Harvey believed that gays and Christians were at odds. And let's be honest, many times they are. But that's not the will of God. God does not desire division between our sexuality and our spirituality. 
there are powers at play, societal, systemic, social powers that cause division. But God overcomes that division to create oneness. God's desire is not separation. God's desire is for us to look at each other and be like, yeah, me too. But I share this story with you not because it was Harvey's apocalypse. I share it with you because it was my own. I realized I was wrong. When Pastor Ryan asked me, Zach, do you believe the Spirit of God is lovingly guiding your life? I'd said no. And I said no because I thought God's love and suffering were separate things. I thought suffering was proof that I was separated from God. I thought my own pain and trauma meant I was separated from God. And I certainly thought the injustice of the world meant separation. But I was wrong. God doesn't do separation. God does oneness. And in the midst of the profound suffering that I saw at Harborview, in the midst of the scary things that happened to Harvey and families like his, I saw hope, I saw healing, I saw love, and I saw God. I mean, I only met Harvey because of that other patient who died. Harvey was never going to request a chaplain on his own. And I only connected with him because I'm gay. And I was only there on the day his health was declining because of a nerve I'd pinched in my neck two months earlier. And we could go on and on about the reasons I wound up at Harborview or in Seattle or in seminary. But because I met Harvey, he was able to talk about and heal some spiritual trauma he'd been carrying. And because I met Harvey, I was able to see I was wrong. Suffering and love are not separate. God loves us in the midst of suffering. God is there lovingly guiding our lives. Now, I've been mindful in writing this sermon not to use the phrase God's plan because that's not what Paul says. And it's not the same thing. For Paul, God is not orchestrating a plan. God is working against the powers. God's spirit is lovingly guiding you in a world full of systemic, societal, and social forces that are trying to kill you. And you see, most patients at Harborview are survivors and victims of these powers that Paul speaks of. The powers of injustice, of social pressure, of isolation, of mental health, of drunk driving, of gun violence, of racism, suicide, sexual assault, estranged families, workplace danger, of all the deep and profound hurts left ungrieved and unchecked in our world. These powers are often the causes of the tragedies that show up at Harborview, and yet somehow healing happens. God is not separate, far off, and distant. God is not causing suffering, and God does not plan these things to happen. But God is still at work even when they happen. God is there, bringing heaven and earth together, bringing people together, and bringing love into places of profound suffering. And Paul believes that God accomplishes this work of oneness with or without us. Like God's love was reaching out to Harvey long before he met me. And God's love continues to reach out to Harvey. I just got to be part of it for a minute. And God was probably giving me a million signs of his love too, but I'm just kind of stubborn. And Harvey just happened to be one of them. And this is what Paul means when he says that his imprisonment is his glory. He realizes that he was part of God's infinite love for humanity for a second. And he's kind of like thumbing his nose at the powerful forces that crush and kill life. 
He realizes that he is in prison because he said something that was true. He said something meaningful, and he's drawing close to that loving heart of God. Kind of like when Martin Luther King Jr. writes his letter from a Birmingham jail. King isn't glad to be in prison, but he boasts that he knows he's in prison because he's fighting the good fight. He's on the side of liberation. He too is close to that loving heart of God. Because often in those moments when we don't expect God's love, that is exactly when God is present with us. Whenever we confront the powers that kill life, whenever we speak truth to power, we will suffer. But that is the good fight. That is the struggle for liberation. That is the divine justice and mercy that the prophets pray for. And at Harborview, it breaks your heart every day. But in order for healing to happen, we have to go to heartbreaking places. Paul went to prison. I went to Code Blues. I wonder what heartbreaking places you've gone to. I wonder what places of division you are feeling called to speak truth to power. Where have you witnessed dividing things being made one? Where have you seen heaven and earth come together? Where have you seen different peoples unite? Where have you learned that God's love is not separate from suffering, but right in the middle of it? Because this is Paul's prayer for you. He says, that is why I kneel before God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. And I pray that God, out of the riches of divine glory, will strengthen you inwardly with power through the working of the Spirit. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, will be able to grasp fully the breadth, length, height, and depth of Christ's love. And with all God's holy ones, experience this love that surpasses all understanding so that you may be filled with the fullness of God to God whose power now at work in us can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Paul ends this chapter begging God that you will believe this is true, that you will believe that God's love is incomprehensible, that it is wide and deep and long and high, that it surpasses understanding, that it can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. And you know, this is my prayer for you too. Because as a pastor, the question that I fear, fear the most is how did God allow this to happen? Because in our heartbreaking world, that's my question too. And that question haunts me. And the only story I can give is that I thought suffering and God's love were separate. But now I know that God loves us in the midst of suffering. God's spirit is with us, loving us the whole time. And it is often in those places when we feel most condemned and separated, that is when we are close to the loving heart of God. And I've stood in suffering places and felt God's glory, and I've seen that meaningful change, justice, and mercy often happens in places of suffering. And I felt God's love. And it breaks my heart that this is so complicated. It breaks my heart that there are people in this room and on our stream and in our community and around the world who have not felt this wide, deep, long, and high love of God. People who have not seen justice or mercy or liberation. And I know that no answer will ever make sense. 
I know there is nothing a pastor can say to answer, how did God allow this to happen? And it is maddening. So like Paul, I get on my knees and I pray that you will have an apocalypse. I pray that when you are in pain, you will feel God drawing close to you in ways you never imagined. I pray that you will feel God at work in your story for justice, mercy, healing, as Paul says, for glory, that in spite of despicable powers that speak to divide us, we will be one. I pray that you will believe with every ounce of your being that God loves you, that God's love is wide and deep and long and high, that it is beyond comprehension, and that this love can do more than we can ask or imagine. And that, my friends, is the first three chapters of Ephesus, or of Ephesians, name for Ephesus. <laughs> Paul believes that God is bringing heaven and earth together. He believes that God is killing hatred and uniting divided groups of people into one. And he realizes that he was wrong before and now believes that God's love is always for us. And he prays that you will feel this to be true too. So I invite you to consider your own apocalypse. Where have you been wrong? Where have you been part of division? Where have you blamed yourself or others or even God? Where do you need more oneness, healing, or wholeness in your life? Wherever those spaces may be, may you see the sacred and witness heaven and earth becoming one. May you surrender your hatred unto Jesus. May you find unity with people you never expected. May you admit that you were wrong. May you speak truth to power. And may you feel that God's love is wide and deep and long and high, that it surpasses understanding, and that this love can do more than we can ask or imagine. Amen? Amen. Amen.